This is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update podcast. This is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update video and podcast. Today, we have our weekly look at the numbers, trends, and latest news about COVID-19 with AMA's Director of Science, Medicine, and Public Health, Andrea Garcia in Chicago. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer, also in Chicago. Andrea, big news this week about vaccines. Uh, let's start first uh, with the most recent announcement from Pfizer uh, earlier in this week about the effectiveness of the vaccine for younger children and what it means uh, for the 5 to 11 age group to get vaccinated. Uh, what's the timeline we're looking at? What are the details? Thanks for having me back. And it's definitely really good news for parents who've been anxiously waiting to get their children vaccinated against COVID-19. Pfizer reported that its vaccine induced a strong immune response in kids aged 5 to 11. But I think the caveat here is, is that these results were announced in a, in a statement by the company. It did not include the detailed data from the trial, and the findings haven't been peer-reviewed or published in a scientific journal. However, the results are consistent with what we've seen in older children and adults, and I think the need for younger children to be vaccinated is urgent. Children account for more than one in five new cases, and the Delta variant has sent more children into hospitals and ICUs in the past few weeks than at any other time in the pandemic. So there's some hope that kids may be able to get their first shots by late October, but we know that a lot has to happen first. Well, why don't we kind of go through those steps? Uh, is it a concern, for instance, that you know you talked about that not being peer reviewed? It obviously has to go through other approval processes. What's that kind of look like? Uh, coming up this month? Yeah, so, so the data has to be submitted to and reviewed by the FDA. So Pfizer said it plans to apply to the FDA by the end of the month for authorization to use the vaccine in the younger age group. Um, it's the same process they did for adolescents, so Pfizer will be seeking an emergency use authorization. If FDA grant, uh, grants the EUA for this population, then the CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices would also review that data and make a recommendation on use of the vaccine for, for these younger kids. And then the CDC director has to review and sign off on the ACIP's recommendation. So if that process goes smooth, smoothly as it did for older children and adults, it would really pave the way for millions of elementary school students to be potentially inoculated by late October. I know, I know a lot of parents, including uh, parents uh, uh, and colleagues of mine here at the AMA, they're eager, eagerly awaiting that. And so hopefully that will go smoothly. I mean, right now we haven't seen uh, the detailed data. Can you share anything about how the trials were conducted? Yeah, so the big takeaway was that children who got the vaccine produced a strong immune response. It was comparable to the level of antibodies seen in earlier trials with 16 to 25 year olds. However, they achieved this with a 10 microgram dose of the vaccine, and that's a third of the dose given to older children and adults. The, at higher doses, the researchers observed more side effects in the younger children, and those included fever, headache, fatigue, although none of them were severe. The idea here really is to hit that sweet spot where you're giving the lowest dose that might elicit side effects, but it's also high enough to get a good sustained antibody response. Um, we do know that that trial was not big enough to draw meaningful conclusions about the vaccine's ability to prevent COVID-19 or hospitalizations. 
Um, in younger children, um, those five and under, uh, just three micrograms or a tenth of the adult dose is being tested in trials, but we're not likely going to have those results until the fourth quarter at the earliest. All right. Well, we'll stay uh, on top of this story as it develops. Um, the other big news is around booster shots, and this is just another case where you have different parties announcing different things and some confusion that kind of results from that, but uh, did receive definitive news uh, from the FDA advisory panel last Friday uh, about not recommending boosters for all adults, but recommending boosters for those over 65. Can you tell us more details about uh, that particular announcement and its implications? Yeah, so the Vaccine and Related Biologics Advisory Committee, which is an advisory committee to the FDA, voted against the recommendation to offer, offer booster doses of Pfizer specifically to everyone aged 16 and older. They indicated that there just was insufficient evidence to support a recommendation around that at this time. The committee then uh, endorsed boosters of the Pfizer vaccine for people who are 65 or older, those are at high risk of severe COVID-19, and for people whose jobs may put them at higher risk for COVID-19. So I think the key here really is going to be specifically identifying who is in that at high risk population. It could be tens of millions of Americans who can see conceivably wind up eligible for booster doses. We have to wait and see what that final definition of high risk looks like. I would say the committee members did indicate support uh, for healthcare workers, for teachers, and for other emergency responders who, whose jobs put them at increased risk of COVID-19 being eligible for booster shots. So like I said, we'll have to see what that final language looks like. So, so t tell us about that process. What, you know, where do we go from here? How do we get definition around what those groups are? As you point out, that could be a lot of people. It could. So we're waiting for uh, the FDA. They have the final word on authorization and they're not obligated to follow their advisory committee's recommendation, though they often do. So at the time of, of this conversation, we're still waiting on the FDA determination, though we're, we'll probably see it later today uh, because the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices is going to be meeting uh, on Wednesday and Thursday, and they don't have this discussion uh, about a clinical recommendation until the FDA has taken their regulatory action. Uh, so when ACIP meets Wednesday and Thursday, uh, they'll also be further defining what the, who those populations are and who, who should be um, eligible for booster doses. That ACIP recommendation then goes to the CDC director for review and approval. We also know that um, the agencies are expecting to soon have data on whether boosters are needed for those who got the Moderna and J&J &J vaccines. We don't have a specific timeline for that yet. Um, and the agencies have indicated they'll continue to examine the need for boosters um, as the data comes in. And I think in the meantime, everyone's in agreement that in order to have the biggest impact on the pandemic and to avoid a fall and winter surge, we really need to focus on the unvaccinated. We need them to roll up their sleeves and get the vaccine. Absolutely. And for, uh, we will have more information uh, from the ACIP meeting uh, as we talk to Dr. Sandra Freihofer, the AMA's liaison to ACIP. Uh, we'll get a full recap from her uh, next week. Um, turning to the numbers, Andrea, you mentioned, again, continued focus on the unvaccinated um, because of so many cases out there. What do the numbers look like this week? 
Well, the, the data is a bit tricky to read right now because Labor Day reporting delays sort of distorted that seven day average for much of this month. So we saw uh, cases plunge artificially during the long weekend, and then they surged also artificially uh, in the days after. Um, that said, some analysts believe that we could be on the verge of a decline in cases, although scientists don't understand why. COVID has often followed a two-month cycle where cases begin rising in a country. They often do so for about two months and then they start to decline. So in the US, Delta began uh, in early July. So that's a bit more than two months ago. Medicine doesn't stand still. And at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. The New York Times recently adjusted for the Labor Day messiness in the data, and the picture was encouraging. Uh, the number of new cases has fallen more than 10% since September 1st. However, several factors have complicated this forecast. So schools across, across the country are reopening and other activities. I think we're all seeing the large football games that are happening, Broadway plays are, have restarted. So some epidemiologists are predicting that we could, because of these social activities, see cases surge this month. Uh, and I know, you know, state by state continues to be a different story. We talked with uh, Dr. Stephen Stack last week. Uh, about Kentucky and the problems they're having there. What are we seeing kind of state by state? Yeah, state by state, the data is consistent with that trend. In some states where the, the Delta wave struck early, like California, Florida, and Missouri, cases have been falling for even longer. Uh, in states where the Delta variant arrived later, like Colorado and Massachusetts, that wave has begun to show signs of cresting. The seven-day average of the number of hospitalized Americans is also decreasing, having peaked on September 3rd, and it's fallen about 7%. So it looks like the Delta wave may have peaked in the U.S. after slightly more than two months of rising cases and hospitalizations. So do I detect optimism in your, uh, in your comments there? Is, you know, what do we see as the prognosis, or is it just still too early to tell? I think it's really good news, but in an analysis in the New York Times, it was pointed out that there still are two important caveats. One is even with declining hospitalizations, the current COVID situation really remains dire in much of the US. Most hospitals in the Mountain West, the Southeast and Appalachia are still filled with COVID patients and physicians we know and nurses are overwhelmed and exhausted. The number of nationwide COVID deaths which typically lags trends in new cases by a few weeks has continued rising. So about 2000 people in the US are still dying of COVID every single day. Oh. The situation here is it's worse than almost any other country. The US death rate over the past two weeks adjusted for population is more than twice as high as Britain's, seven times as high as Canada's and 10 times as high as Germany's. So if Mississippi were its own country, it would have one of the world's worst total death tolls per capita. Uh, the, the U.S. also recently passed another grim milestone with one in 500 residents having now died of COVID-19. So in terms of those caveats, I mean, anything else that can be thrown into the mix that we may or may not be expecting? I mean, I think the other thing that, you know, the other caveat really is... Um, 
these trends are not expected to continue. Um, the two-month cycle is not a scientific law. There have been exceptions to it. So maybe those packed football games will cause new outbreaks and are not yet visible in the data, or maybe the onset of colder weather will, will drive people indoors and we'll see an increase in cases. So I would say the virus has spent almost two years surprising us and not for the better. Um, so for now, the best summary may be that COVID is both unnecessarily a bad crisis here in the U.S. and one that appears to be slowly becoming just a little bit less bad. Wouldn't it be great if we could turn the corner on that through continued vaccination and then vaccinations with uh, younger children, 5 to 11? Uh, well, maybe we can look forward to that. And that's it today uh, for our COVID-19 update video and podcast. Uh, for updated resources on COVID-19, visit ama-assn.org slash COVID-19. Thanks for joining us today. Please take care. This content was originally published as part of the AMA's COVID-19 daily video updates. Find the latest at ama-assn.org slash COVID update. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.